Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Hello, my name is Neil Selwyn and in this episode of Meet the Education Researcher I'm talking with Audrey Osler. Audrey is an emeritus professor from Leeds University in the UK. She was recently in the faculty as a visiting scholar, so I took the opportunity for a chat about her work around the topic of human rights and education. As you're about to hear, Audrey has a long career of tackling questions around citizenship, child rights and many other aspects of social justice and education. So I started by asking her about the big questions that had driven her work over the past 30 years. been passionately interested in the role that education can play to achieve greater social justice and I think that stems from my own childhood that that real concern for things being fair and just Mm. and that's been the main question Uh, but I'm also terribly interested in how teachers think and, and I'm also extremely interested in children's perspectives on questions because it struck me many years back that we do a lot of educational research but we often fail to ask children Mm. what they feel about the schools they they go to about how they experience life. So I'm fascinated how people's biographies often inform what it is their research. I mean were you actually a teacher yourself? Yeah yeah I taught for about 15 years before I went into the university And that was a shock because when you enter the university as a teacher, at least when I did, uh, people assume you know nothing and you begin as a little baby again. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, social justice is a big topic. So, Mm. I mean, what aspects of social justice have really fascinated you over the years? How's the idea of social justice changed? I first got interested in this because I was really concerned about, as a teacher, about questions about racism. I had my first teaching job just outside London. Um, and uh, the students were from families who had come out of central London. They were often self-made families and uh, not necessarily parents who'd had a lot of formal education, but had got the message through to their to their own kids mm. that racism was fine, actually. And, and the first school I taught in, and I was there for six years, uh, was quite a tough place to work in terms of this issue. Whenever um, there was a a local election, there'd be somebody standing for what then was the National Front. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was that kind of challenge. So that was, I guess, in the 80s? Yeah, that was in the early 80s, yeah. I mean, the issues of social justice, we now live in an age of intersectionality. So, Mm. I mean, how have your concerns about social justice kind of developed over the intervening 30 years? I, first of all... uh, had an experience as a teacher. I was teaching in Birmingham, working for the Multicultural Support Service, and I had the opportunity to take part in an international conference. And it was in Denmark, and I signed up for it, and I was really surprised to uh, be offered uh, a place on it. And I went there, and it was about human rights education. And that's how I first became interested in uh, this kind of work. And it was... Uh, during the years when Thatcher was in in power and I guess it was when she was education minister and it was really 
really difficult to do anti-racist work in schools. And at that time, human rights seemed to be a useful framing for dealing with these issues that no government at that time seemed to challenge the whole perspective of human rights. So I went from anti-racist work into human rights education, seeing it as a vehicle for continuing that anti-racist work. And then I gradually realised that actually you can deal with a whole range of issues that these these are interlinked issues about power, justice, identity that cover much more than just the question of race and ethnicity. So I guess human rights is one of those phrases that we all talk about. I mean, this might seem like a very kind of basic question, but I mean, Mm. have you got a kind of definition that you'd like to kind of promote of of what what you mean by human rights? I see human rights as something which is universal in the sense that we all uh, have a, a sense of an urge to resist oppression. It's a very basic definition, but that definition then I think is possibly a universal one that wherever you are in the world, wherever people experience an injustice, they they want to overcome it either for themselves and their own group or on behalf of others. So I see human rights basically as that urge to resist injustice. Yeah. So, right, let's talk, go back a bit to your PhD and the work Mm. you did originally. So as you say, you're interested in kind of race and education, Mm. then with this human rights flavour. So, I mean, the first of your books I wanted to talk about was, I think, the work that came from your PhD, The Education and Careers of Black Teachers, Changing Identities, Changing Lives. This was published over 20 years ago. What issues and problems were you setting out to address in this work? At that stage, I think there were hardly any voices from, it was set in the context of the UK and particularly England. And I don't think there were any any real research presenting uh, the positions of black British people. And by black British people at that time, I included in, in my research people largely of South Asian and Caribbean heritage. Mm. So those are the people I was talking to. And what did they say? Well, it was very, very interesting because I looked at people at different stages in their careers, right from uh, young people who were thinking of becoming teachers, those who knew they never wanted to go near this career, right through to head teachers, school inspectors, school principals. And I found different groups, different age groups presented things in in different ways. Those who had uh, grown up in Britain Um, often found that they needed to struggle to create an identity there. Whereas those who were born overseas, even if they were born, let's say, on a Caribbean island and moved to Britain at the age of two years old, often felt they could create for themselves a sense of who they were that wasn't tied to this narrow island they were living on right now, namely Britain. And so that was, uh, I guess, 1997, 1996. Mm -hmm. I mean, how are these issues playing out in the UK today? I think a lot of of people tell me when they read the book today that they can still find things they can identify with. I interviewed a teacher in London about three years ago and she said, I wish 
I'd, and she'd only recently trained to be a teacher. I wish I'd read this book, she said, before I started training, because I could I could identify with many of the issues, many of the experiences you were describing are, are questions that my own children have had to face in the, their own schooling. And she, she happened to be uh, born in Britain, gone to live in Ghana at the age of two, and then come back as a young adult to Britain. And this particular teacher could see commonalities the way that still today i think some te- some teachers of color are really expected to take on roles in school related to being a role model yeah, yeah. taking on particular challenges of dealing with certain issues in the curriculum that other teachers would prefer to uh, avoid. In a way, it's flattering that your work is still seen to be kind of of use, but in another way, it's quite depressing that little seems to have changed. I mean, how? what difference did your book make, for example? Was it picked up by academics, if not by policymakers? That's really interesting. It had really good reviews and really enthusiastic response right. by those who read it. But I actually think it's one of the least read of all my work. And I sometimes wonder, is it that the White Academy does not think that this is their problem? Mm. Um, today, we're looking at racism in higher education a lot more. Uh, at that time, it was like a taboo subject, I really? think. I think so. But um, I think things have changed, but I think things don't go progressively much, you know, a great progression forward. And I think since the Brexit, Brexit vote, I have observed conversations on buses, uh, in public transport, in public places, even in restaurants, even direct conversations, things I've never heard, uh, expressions of intolerance, racism, since I was about 15 years old. Yeah, yeah, we seem to have gone back 30 mm. years. So I don't think we necessarily go go in a great march forward of progress. I think struggling against injustice is something that you have to persist with. And in terms of the academy, these are questions you have to revisit and, mm. and look for new solutions. And so as you said, you're kind of reframing a lot of these ideas now through the uh, human rights. So the second book I wanted to talk to you about was your 2016 book, Human mm. Rights and Schooling, an Ethical Framework for Teaching Social Justice. Now, I mean, this sounds like an endless topic, but what are some <laughs> of the key ideas that you're putting forward in this book? Well, this book is also interesting to me because it was the first book I published in the United States. Okay, yep. So it was published in New York by Teachers College Press. And uh, when I got the reviews, I was told to address an American audience, yeah. make sure you address an American audience. And I'd always imagined I'd address some imaginary um, international audience. And then I, I was almost paralyzed by yeah, how yeah. I could present this work. Uh, but human rights, I think the concept of human rights, when I took the book on around 2014, it, is, it wasn't one really... That's, it's not a discourse that's commonly used in U.S. education. Right, okay. So, um, so what I had to do in order to write it was to picture and imagine to picture one colleague and, and almost write it for him yeah, yeah. to get over the paralysis. But the main questions I'm trying to deal with are how do we address human rights on an everyday basis in the context of our day-to-day lives? Um, why look at gross abuses of human rights? Uh, abroad in schools if we're not looking at how children actually experience their rights in school. So that's one framing, like how do students um, engage with rights? How do they 
learn about rights, but how do they experience their own schooling? Another big question I'm really interested in is is questions around narrative and how do you get students and teachers to reflect on their own lives and from that understand the complexities of other people's lives. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about methods, actually, because you've done a lot of um, like life history and narrative mm. work. And I'm just interested what that method brings to your brings to your scholarship. I love people's stories and I think it's an enjoyable way. I was never so happy when I was doing my PhD as collecting data. I could have gone collecting data for for for, for years on yeah, end. Yeah. I was going to people's homes and they were sharing their life stories. So it I'm interested in people. So yep. that's that's a, a very attractive way of doing things for me. But on a on a scholarly level, I think it brings out the complexity and the contradictions. That, that we often lose with other methods. Yeah. That people's people's perspectives, their understandings aren't constant. They're constantly shifting according to where they are, what they're doing. So that allows me to explore those kinds of issues. But from a practical point of view, they're quite tricky to do. So I mean I'm just interested, have you got any practical yeah. tips for anyone thinking, oh right, I'll do some narrative research. What yeah. have you learnt over the years? You have to be very well prepared and know really what questions you want to pursue overall otherwise you will just get so much data and you will be totally lost in it and and you will drown in it focus um yeah so even if you get somebody to tell a story and and just say tell me the story of your life you're going to have to need to know what you want to draw from that and and what kinds of follow-up questions you want so you need to be extremely disciplined and not get distracted by the by the um the vividness of people's stories because you can be easily lost that's a very practical piece of advice that's very good advice now actually talking about methods um, the flip side of that i guess is theory so i'm just interested about everything we've just talked about i mean what Mm. theoretical traditions and approaches have really helped you make sense of this when i first started my university career i was terrified of theory Mm. theory was the thing that scared me and if any any phd student says that to me now they're struggling with theory i can really identify with that and Human rights education is a relatively new field. So I think it has been really under-theorized. So what I've been trying to do is to think about this modernist human rights project and to try and establish whether it's compatible with a postmodern, with a post-colonial mm. frame and what are the tensions in trying to bring those two together. So for theorists I've drawn on, Homi Baba has inspired me uh, as a post-colonial theorist. Um, I've been very influenced by uh, the work of Kimberly Crenshaw and intersectionality. Yeah. I think as as a as a woman, as a academic of colour, as somebody who's um, put herself into different global situations and taught in many different places. I found her work very, very powerful and supportive of of um, of just complexity we live in. Really. Yeah, and, and applicable to education, even Absolutely. though it comes from law. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and it fits well with with uh, human rights. Then that that human rights has been dominated, human rights education has been dominated by lawyers. And I'm trying to think about, you know, what are the key contributions that I can learn from uh, political scientists who are engaged with human rights. Geographers. Geographers, of course. Um, but 
but also historians, yeah, yeah. Uh, sociologists of human rights. You're making it sound like a really interesting area. I might, might change my shift. So I mean, I'm, I'm finally, looking forwards then, I mean, what do you see the future of education research heading? I mean, have you got any words of encouragement or despondency for early career researchers of 2019? My own uh, current research has been to look at the stories and careers of migrant teachers uh, from different places. I'm, so I'm collecting these um, stories from around the globe and I'm, I'm not very strategic about it because I'm often taking opportunities as I find myself in different places. And I think teachers give me hope. Mm. Although uh, here in Australia over the last two weeks, I've been talking to colleagues about how we need to have certain frameworks for education, how we need to support teachers and how we need certain policies in place. I'm not denying that any of those things are important, but I also believe, and it's been my experience, that even in the most difficult situations, that teachers are people of goodwill and care a lot for their students. And so I'm hopeful, even in the very difficult political context we find ourselves in the globe today and and you know some people fear you know more conflict catastrophe war others you know feel democracies not just feel they they know democracies are being undermined i think you do find teachers who are ready to work against the grain who are ready to stand up for children's rights to uh, insist on on the best care for the students they've got to make sure that they're supported at school, even to provide food for them, you know, mm -hmm. at the beginning of the day. Teachers are generally very generous people and, and high-minded in that sense. So I don't know if that answers the question about the future of education research, but it gives me hope for the future of education and, and particularly schooling. Well, that's a fantastic note to end on. Thanks ever so much for that, Audrey. It's been great to get a little bit of time to speak to you. Thanks ever so much. Thank you, Neil.